Welcome to Trashy Divorces, everyone. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends. I'm Alicia. Thanks for coming on back today to our season 15, season full of Hall of Fame All-Stars. All-Stars. This week, you're making a case. He was not quite there, but I think you sold it. Not quite there. We are hoping for all happiness in the fifth marriage of actor Gary Oldman. But in the meantime, his first four were kind of a train wreck. A little bit of a train wreck. A little bit. Before we start the episode today, I have a magic mirror. I want to give some thanks and praise to our latest supporters over at Patreon. We are so grateful for y'all. Thanks so much for joining us at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Deanna W., Kimberly H., and Jessica H. Holy cats, y'all are the best. Our whole community, thanks in all the ways that y'all support us by listening, by telling your friends, with your support on Patreon. We think the world of you. All right, Alicia, so if we're going to get to it, what do we need to do? I'll help you out. We'd better go, go, go. So, Stacy, you have a new Hall of Fame contender today. Contender. Yeah, yeah. Alicia, you may recall that we covered Uma Thurman's divorces not that long ago. And, of course, her first husband, fellow actor Gary Oldman, came up in that story. Gary is currently married to his fifth wife. But I hope you'll allow me some special pleading to establish that even with just four divorces under his belt, Gary Oldman deserves a spot in our very trashy pantheon of celebrities with a lengthy pattern of questionable life and romantic choices. Get your game on, man. As we noted in the UMA episode, Gary Leonard Oldman was born in London on March 21st, 1958, into circumstances that weren't exactly awesome for a child. His father was a heavy drinker who would abandon his family. Gary has two significantly older sisters when Gary was just seven. Dad, Len, who had met his mother Kathleen in Cardiff during World War II, traded in for a younger model, a blow that Gary didn't properly face with the help of a good therapist until well into adulthood. Wow, that's tough. Yes. Fortunately or not, young Gary was suddenly thrust into a world run by women, his mother and his two older sisters, and perhaps was forced to turn a bit inward to maintain some sense of himself at that age. As a kid, he played guitar and piano. He obsessed over the Beatles and Liberace. School was a bad experience for him, where he was constantly reminded, hopefully by bullies and not actual adults whose job it is to excite young minds, that he was not smart and that his future would necessarily be bleak. These are terrible things to say to a child. Agreed. Unsurprisingly, perhaps, Gary left formal education when he was 15 or 16 took a job in a shop, but it was through television that he discovered his calling. Watching a couple of Malcolm McDowell movies on the telly transfixed him, and he decided that he should try his hand at acting. He joined an outfit called the Young People's Theater in Greenwich. While enduring a hard-scrabble working-class life with jobs in a factory, a hospital, a shoe shop, a slaughterhouse, and occasionally supplementing his earnings with a little light theft. That's quite a diverse resume. Quite a diverse resume. Buoyed by his experience with the Young People's Theater, he eventually applied to RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, which told him that the very best advice that institution could give him would be for him to find another calling. Oh, no. 
Yikes. Gary. But eventually he won a scholarship to a college in Kent and graduated in 1979 with his very own shiny new theater degree. Good on you. And with that, Gary Oldman set about paying his dues in the English theater community, hopping from city to city to pursue roles in various productions. He said that he wasn't the most talented actor around, just the most diligent, and this paid off in a big way. By 1984, he was recognized by Time Out Fringe as Best Newcomer and shared a Drama Theater Award for Best Actor with Anthony Hopkins. Holy cats! In 1986, he was coaxed into playing Sid Vicious in the punk biopic Sid and Nancy, which he initially turned down until his agent was like, Gary, I would like to get paid more than your theater gigs. This might pay us more, my friend. Stop being dumb. Okay. It was in 1987, in a production of Carol Churchill's Serious Money, that Gary would meet his first, if brief, wife, Leslie Manville. Leslie, born March 12, 1956, in Brighton, had begun training in the theater in earnest as a teenager. A gifted soprano singer, she had won Sussex-wide competitions in the under-18 category, and at 15 was admitted to London's Italia Conti Academy of Theatre Arts. By the mid-70s, she had a role on the ITV soap opera Emmerdale Farm and appeared in 80 episodes in a three-year run. Wow. She bought her first flat with her Emmerdale Farm money. Good for you, Leslie. She never strayed far from the stage, though, working closely with the Royal Shakespeare Company and the Royal Court Theatre from the late 70s on. She had also caught the attention of filmmaker Mike Lee. He was looking for Royal Shakespeare actors who could improvise, and Leslie was looking to branch out into more challenging roles, uh, with whom she has collaborated on a ton of films over the last several decades, she and Mike Lee. But yes, it was back in 1987 at a Royal Court production of Serious Money that she would meet and fall in love with Gary Oldman, two years her junior. Things moved fast, and they were married the same year with a son, Alfie, born late in 1988. But you see, friends, Gary's career was really taking off after Sid and Nancy, and of course the famously intense actor was also attempting to bury various personal demons in the bottom of a bottle. Mm. As the marriage was coming apart, he left England for New York to meet up with Sean Penn and State of Grace's director as the next movie he'll be in, Phil Janow, to scout locations. Apparently he and Sean had a bit of a friendly rivalry going on that first trip, and Gary ended up singing Like a Virgin into Sean's face immediately after Sean's marriage to Madonna had hit the rocks. Oh, go. Surprisingly, Sean Penn did not deck Gary Oldman. Interesting. Instead found it funny, or at least laughed it off. Um, What a time. What a time is right. Gary and Leslie split in 1989, when Alfie was just a few months old, a situation that certainly left Leslie in something of a lurch. They appear to be on good terms today, but it's clear that his Hollywood career was his priority in that phase of his life. Leslie, who, like her ex, does not dish their dirty laundry in public, uh, did remark at one point about his co-parenting efforts, quote, he plays a small part, with the accent on the small however much you might have read in the press about how wonderful a father he is. Stacy, there's no such thing as small roles, just small actors. <laughs> Tiny fathers. While Leslie spent a few years working less while focusing on raising Alfie as he got a little older, she returned to acting to great acclaim, 
She has been nominated Best Female Actor at the Royal Television Society Awards. She's won the London Film Critics Circle Award for British Actress of the Year twice. She's been nominated for a BAFTA Award. That was 2011. And in 2018, had the unique circumstance of being nominated for a Best Supporting Actress Oscar for her work in the film Phantom Thread, while her ex-husband, Gary Oldman, was nominated for Best Actor for his portrayal of Winston Churchill in Darkest Hour. Potentially awkward, except (laughs) apparently they made it a family event with Alfie and Gary's two sons from a later marriage, we'll get to it, attending with them. And while Gary won and Leslie lost to Allison Janney that year, she said, quote, I'm not remotely sour-faced. Listen, we have a child together. We're a very successful family. He's got a new wife and we all get on. And Gary and I are friends, so it's been very good and been very nice for our son, I think. Like, you can imagine, both of your divorced parents nominated for an Oscar in the same year for different movies. Oh, no, that's definitely a weird limo ride. What are the odds of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, also, uh, during his role as Winston Churchill, Gary had to smoke so many Cuban cigars while playing Winnie uh, that at one point he developed nicotine poisoning. How many Cuban cigars do you have to smoke to develop nicotine poisoning? That many. Yeah, apparently the production spent $20,000 on Cuban cigars. Yikes, on bikes, 20K? To authentically portray the famously... I don't know how much Cuban cigars go for, but that seems like a lot of cigars. It's a lot of cigars. Enough to give you nicotine poisoning. Okay, so I am not clear whether the breakup with Leslie was just because of the pressures of his exploding profile from across the pond's left coast or not, but... I will note that it was his first film after 1990's State of Grace that is reportedly where he met the luminous Uma Thurman, 12 years his junior. According to the film's director, the two were dating during production of the movie, which wrapped up in September of 89. Oh, that timing is a little suspicious. It's... who can say, really? Whatever (laughs) the timeline on Gary and Uma getting together, they married in 1990, a situation that both have described as a mistake. Uma told Vanity Fair years later, We met when I was 18. He was 12 years older. It was a crazy love affair that ended as it needed to. He was my first love. I had no prior experience. Elsewhere, she's been quoted as saying, quote, It was immature and rebellious. It is infantile to marry your first boyfriend, which Gary was in my case. There's some truth to that. I mean, if it works, it works. Otherwise, that, that is what you say. There is a fun report that Gary thought Uma was cheating on him with Robert De Niro, or maybe he thought that Robert De Niro was attempting to get Uma to cheat with him. Anyway, she insists that they have only ever been friends. But this resulted in Gary apparently physically confronting De Niro. There was a little little pushing, a little shoving, demanding that Bobby leave Uma alone, a little drama. Can you imagine? No. Like, Bobby De Niro definitely knows how to to fight, right? (laughs) raging bull. I mean, anyway, you can hear all about Uma's genuinely fascinating backstory, including some tidbits about 60s acid guru Timothy Leary back in our season 12, episode eight. That really um, was a wild ride of a story. Mm -hmm. I'd forgotten about Timothy Leary in that one. Really, really went places. So apparently the Uma-Gary breakup was not good. She wrote him a Dear Gary letter in 1992, and that was that. But Honestly, the man had a lot going on in his life at this point. He was playing Lee Harvey Oswald in JFK. He was Count Dracula in Bram Stoker's Dracula. 
there were reports that he and Winona Ryder had something, something going on during filming, but I don't think that's ever been confirmed. Possibly has been denied, in fact. But he also continued to battle with his own drinking. There was an August 1991 DUI when he was pulled over on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles with friend and definitely not a good influence when it comes to drunk driving, Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, no. Gary's blood alcohol was clocked at 0.17%, or more than twice the legal limit, which really propelled him to a big decision point in his life. Oh, what was that? I mean, this seems like a very common situation, right? You get a DUI, and this pushes you to really think through how you're living. Yeah, does he get sober? How you want to... You know what? To ensure that he would never again face the specter of driving drunk and getting caught driving drunk, Gary gave up driving. Not the solution I thought that was going to be had. But an innovative solution nonetheless. He would say years later, I'd had a wake-up call that drinking and driving was a stupid thing to do, but I couldn't face giving up drinking. So I'll just give up driving. Stop driving. Mm Mm-hmm. The state of California suspended his driver's license for six months and made him serve 89 hours under house arrest with an ankle monitor. Okay. Okay. You know what? We have now gotten Gary through the first two of his marriages, plus a little, some of his problems with alcohol. So let's take a little break to pay some bills. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the marriage that wasn't and the trip to rehab that became a marriage. (laughs) I can't wait. We'll see you on the flip. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know... Try to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. (laughs) Podcasts on? Yeah, podcasts, homecasts. Your your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. The ladies of the Oak Tree Group are celebrating our all-star season 15 with this PSA inspired by Smash Mouth. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Getting paid is only half the battle. The amount you keep and put to work for you makes the difference in your life. All that glitters is gold. Only shooting stars break the mold. And even the stars need some help every now and then. The three financial strategists of the Oak Tree Group know all about breaking molds. Yep, what a concept. I could use a little fuel myself and we could all use a little change. Take advantage of their free one hour consultation offer. Fuel up on the power of knowledge and see the change you can bring into your financial world. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Hey, it's never too late to start making more informed decisions about your financial matters, but the years do fly by before you know it. That's right. You'll never know if you don't go to www.theoaktreegroup.net for more information or call 770-319-1700 for your free one-hour consultation. 
That phone number again is 770-319-1700. You'll never shine if you don't glow. All right, Stacy. Halfway through. Ish. Oh, no. All right. <laughs> Let's pause to note that Gary's first wife was his co-star, and his second wife was his co-star. So what do you think happened when he showed up single enough to 1994's Immortal Beloved about the life of Ludwig van Beethoven, co-starring none other than Isabella Rossellini. Oh, he's got to get together with her. Who? Come on. Definitely. Isabella Rossellini's probably laminated on his index card. Everyone's, I believe, is <laughs> like the law now. We covered the trashy divorce of Isabella's parents, Ingrid Bergman and Roberto Rossellini, in an earlier episode. To catch us up, because it's been a, a while, um, Isabella Fiorella Elettra Giovanna Rossellini was born June 8th, 1952 in Rome, Italy, and was mostly raised in Rome. Her appendix ruptured when she was five, and at 11, she began a debilitating, and it sounds like pretty torturous, 18-month ordeal of surgery, mechanical stretchings, oh, and full body casts to mm. correct scoliosis. I think we've made real strides in that in the decades since. Weirdly, she was all too happy to flit off to New York City for college after all that, where she worked as a translator and a TV reporter for an Italian outlet. While there, she met a little dude named Martin Scorsese, who would become her husband of three years, starting in 1979. I forgot they had gotten married. Yeah, same. After that, she had another three-year marriage that produced a daughter in 1983, and a decade later, she also adopted a son. Isabella and David Lynch, filmmaker, Twin Peaks creator, were a couple for a few years in the late 80s into the early 90s, but it seems like that was probably wrapped up by about 91 or so. Adding Isabella Rossellini to our trashy divorces list. Yeah. Holy cats. By the time she got to the set of Immortal Beloved in 94, she was an extremely well-known and well-respected actress, having appeared in White Nights, Blue Velvet, and Death Becomes Her, among a number of others. Apparently, Isabella and Gary hit it off immediately, and were talking about marriage within weeks of getting together. But again, Gary gave up driving instead of drinking to avoid subsequent DUIs, and he was still working through quite a lot of childhood abandonment trauma, on top of two divorces trauma, on top of my kid is in England and I'm a workaholic actor trauma. So here's a bit of a portrait of how horribly his life was being screwed up by alcohol. Oh no. A few vignettes. Being a successful actor meant being able to indulge at a level just beyond comprehension. And for a time he would, he would treat himself, a little self-care, mm -hmm. take, take little trips, four-day weekends at the luxury Carlisle Hotel in Manhattan, oh. where he would drain the mini bar and then presumably call down for more and God knows what else. Uh, these little interludes of misbegotten self-care would set him back as much as 16,000 pounds, which I believe is something like $18,000. That's a lot of dollars. Actor Richard E. Grant, recalling their time together filming Dracula, wrote about Gary drinking tequila and beer until he blacked out and then sobbing with regret the morning after yeah. in Grant's memoir. What seems to have driven a different kind of stake into the heart of his two-year engagement to Isabella, they did become engaged, was, according to Gary, a 70-day bender that left him literally sweating vodka. 70, 70. 70, 70 day bender. Yeah, so he's sweating vodka and his tongue turned black. 
Oh, my friend. So Isabella gave him an ultimatum, like, uh -huh. you get some help or we're through. And it was his effort to get clean that actually ended up ending the relationship. He was working through a lot of dad issues in the least healthy way possible through alcohol and once said, looking back at the stuff I did, it was like I was walking in my father's shoes. Here's someone who hadn't really influenced me. We spoke on the phone a couple times when I was a teenager, yet it was like I had a blueprint that I was following. It was in rehab or at Alcoholics Anonymous, I've seen it both ways, where he was finally attempting to find sobriety in earnest that he met the woman who would become his third wife, model and now photographer Danya Fiorentino. Danya had had previous relationships with Wham's Andrew Ridgely and had been married to filmmaker David Fincher for five years from oh my God. This is 1990 to far reaching trash candy here. So yeah, when they walked down the aisle in 1997, oh. she was already pregnant. Okay. Uh, she would have the second of their sons together two years later. If that all seems a little rushed, particularly in light of the fairly heroic process of finally facing your demons head on and discovering and learning to live with sobriety, you are not wrong. The marriage lasted just four years. And by the time Danya filed for divorce in 2001, she was accusing him of assaulting her with a telephone to stop her from calling 911 one time and continuing to, again, like, quote, unquote, treat himself to those luxury hotel getaways where she says he not only drank to excess, but also indulged in drugs and sex workers. Gary fired back fiercely, writing in emotion, Danya represented to me that she was sober. I had been sober for years and committed to being sober. Before alleging that Danya had suffered an overdose relatively recently, Gary's manager stressed to the press that police had investigated Danya's allegations of abuse and had pressed no charges against Gary. And by the end of the legal drama, the court awarded full custody of their sons to Gary Oldman. Really? Mm -hmm. Danya was only allowed supervised visitation, and when she was able to travel with the boys, the trio were accompanied by a nanny in Gary's employ. If you thought Gary Oldman made himself a little scarce in the 2000s, that's why. He was a single dad of two young sons. He played Sirius Black in the Harry Potter franchise because it was a big paycheck for not a lot of work. He'd be gone for like six weeks, and maybe the boys could come with him. But then he wouldn't have to work for months or a year. Yeah, he'd be a stay-at-home dad. Yeah. Which is a better imago than the other blueprint he was working off of. For sure. He had a fourth marriage to an English singer named Alexandra Edenborough in 2008, about which he said, I'm not proud that this is my fourth marriage, but this is a good one. Hopefully my last one. Hopefully. Hopefully. Although Alexandra's 2015 divorce filing... <laughs> citing irreconcilable differences, of course, made that less likely. In what must have been something of a refreshing break from his history, though, this split seems to have gone fairly well, with Gary explaining that their 20-year age difference eventually caught up with them. He gave her $2.4 million, several properties, and vehicles in the divorce. Okay, nice settlement. Sure. 20 years does have a way of catching up. It, it can catch up. In 2014, Gary... Gary, what were you thinking? Caused quite a bit of controversy when, in a lengthy Playboy interview, oh, no. and apropos of nothing, uh, Gary decided to stick up for Mel Gibson and his 2006 anti-Semitic tirade. Gary. 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 Noting that, quote, I don't know about Mel. He got drunk and said a few things, but we've all said those things. 
We're all fucking hypocrites. That's what I think about it. He also stuck up for Alec Baldwin, who shouted an anti-gay slur at a photographer in 2013 to much public outrage. Gary had a pat reason for why all this stuff was so controversial. Quote, we all hide and try to be so politically correct. That's what gets me. It's just the sheer hypocrisy of everyone that we all stand on this thing going, is it that shocking? Gary. Wow. Later in the interview, it seemed like Gary was starting to figure out that he had stepped into it pretty deeply. <laughs> you think? Saying, so this interview has gone very badly. You have to edit and cut half of what I've said because it's going to make me sound like a bigot. <laughs> he apologized in a letter to the Anti-Defamation League. I bet. Day after the issue hit the sands, uh-huh. uh, although his manager took pains to stress that Gary Oldman never defended anti-Semitic language, just the culture of political correctness that, I mean, to my mind anyway, imposes costs on people who let their racism freak flag fly, which Gary's manager insisted was something that Gary himself profoundly abhorred. So it's very odd. Yeah, there's a real thin line between Saturday night and Sunday morning. It's just weird. I hate this culture of political correctness. So let me just Why why are all these people saying racist stuff in public? (laughs) As noted, Gary took the plunge one final, so far, anyway, time in August of 2017. It was a low-key affair, apparently, that didn't even make the papers until November of that year. Held at his manager's home with a few dozen close friends in attendance, he had known fifth wife Giselle Schmidt for a number of years. She's an art curator and photographer, originally from Canada. They seem to still be going quite strong. So, Alicia, my arguments for awarding Gary Oldman all-star status without requiring him to divorce Giselle, hopefully they're quite happy together, include nearly coming to blows with Bobby De Niro, a Dear Gary letter from Uma Thurman, 16,000-pound luxury hotel benders, his tongue turning black, getting an ultimatum to go to rehab from his fiancée and meeting his next girlfriend there, going to bat for the truly odious Mel Gibson for absolutely no reason, and also, I don't think I mentioned this one, apparently being fully overcome with jealousy when Queen Elizabeth appointed his first wife, Leslie Manville, to the Order of the British Empire in 2015. Stay happy, Gary and Giselle. To my mind, you're an all-star either way. Welcome to the Hall of Fame. Trashy divorces style, Gary Oldman. That was a ride. That was a ride. Good on him for maintaining sobriety. That's a tough thing to do. It's a tough thing to achieve. Sure. And good on you. It sounds like you're making some better decisions, but wow. Wow. That's a lot of Imago. It's a lot, but he picked up his first Oscar in 2018. Oh, good on him. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. He's very anti-fame culture. Like, he feels like, like being a celebrity, like if you choose to be a celebrity, that is in itself a separate job, and he has no time. He just wants to act. He just wants to be an actor. Yeah. But I yeah, by by kind of like I think he feels like he would have you know, had Academy Awards much earlier in his career if he had kind of played the game a little more. But as noted, he was quite busy, you know, drinking and uh marrying, serenading Sean Penn. Marrying people, serenading Sean Penn. There's a lot. There was a lot. Wow. Uh, it's just it's it is so strange that Sean Penn did not just punch him and Add to his own legend. Well, wasn't it State of Grace that Sean Penn meets Robin Wright? Maybe so. I think that was the movie when we talked about them. There was a lot going on in that movie. Maybe he was just a little happier. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Don't know. 
My word, Stacy. Thank you. You're welcome. Well done. That is my story for the week. All star summer. It is season fifteen, summer of all stars. Mm-hmm. Y'all, thanks so much for joining us today. Let's be honest. I got something super fun coming up for Wednesday. We can't wait to see you back then. If you need more trashy divorces in the meantime, you can check us out over at patreon.com. We're still rolling with Robert Evans and Dumpster Dives. We started our only murders in the building catch-ups too this week. Mm -hmm. Because we're addicted. Always something happening. Mm -hmm. Trashy over here at TDHQ2. Until we meet again, my friends. Keep your hands clean. Uh, Keep those hearts trashy. Big love. We'll see you on Wednesday, folks. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.